Welcome to the Darkness Dwells podcast, episode 77. I am Jason White. And I am Michael Schutz. And we are the Darkness Dwells podcast. Darkness Dwells podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So how are you doing, Michael? Episode 77, that's crazy. We're going to hit 100 this year. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) So how are you doing? I am doing good. Um, a respite from the rain, which has been haunting Northern California. Uh, not summer rain, not the good stuff, but the freezing cold January rain. So that's over. And and thus my depression is lifted. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What about you? What's new in your world? You know what? It's been the same here. I mean, it's winter, uh, but we went through a bit of a warm bit. I mean, we still have a lot of snow because so much snow fell during uh, during December that the rain couldn't really get rid of it all. But uh, but we were getting a lot of rain as well, and it, it's like that cold winter rain. It's it's yeah yeah. Oh. And there's a couple. Of, me my bone. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, a couple of nights so far we've had with freezing rain, and that's always fun. Uh, yeah. That's what my uh, my people in Wisconsin are having. Lots of ice. Yeah, ice. I hate ice. I, I this yeah. whole season is just miserable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before uh, before we get into uh, this episode, where we uh, talk with Todd Keesling from uh, from Crystal Lake Publishing, let me tell you about Crystal Lake Publishing, as they are one of our sponsors. Now, they have been uh, publishing since 2012, and they have quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of mystery, thriller, and suspense books with a dark fiction edge. They started out doing uh, mostly anthologies and novellas, but they are now breaching out into full-length novels, and they have published the likes of Richard Thomas, uh, Angelica... uh, Sorry, Damien Angelica Walters, Mercedes M. Yardley... Uh, they've also published stories by Ramsey Campbell and Clive Barker. They are an awesome, awesome publishing house, and I cannot recommend them enough. So go to crystallakepub.com and uh, do some shopping. You'll be happy you did. Yes. And uh, we're also sponsored by audible.com. Audible is a... Uh, Excuse me, my throat's drying out on me here. <clears throat> uh, Audible is a uh, an audiobook store. It's owned by Amazon.com, and it's the biggest online. It's probably the biggest uh, audiobook store in the world. Honestly, they have over 180,000 titles, and uh, I, I, you would do yourself a really good favor if you went to www.audibletrial.com slash darkness dwells and sign up for a free month-long trial membership now with that what the trial means is you get to they give you a free audiobook to do the free trial and uh, listen to the book see if you like it and if you do then remain a member if you don't then you can quit at any time I'm going to su- although as I just said they have over 180,000 titles I'm going to suggest cold hand in mine by Robert Aikman. It's a collection of his short stories, and let me tell you, those short stories are really fucked up. <laughs> I love them. So, uh, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. All right, Michael, I think I'm ready. 
to take a quick break and to uh, come back and discuss maybe a little bit of news. What do you think? That sounds excellent. Still here. <laughs> How about you? Oh, halfway gone as always. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to be. <laughs> so, <clears throat> news. You know, there's a, a lot of things uh, happening right now, and uh, beginning of a new year. It, yeah, and uh, uh, I know that uh, some of the stuff that. Uh, you know, there's some surprises. Like, uh, I know that you wanted to talk about Friday the 13th. I'm not too sure if it's the same thing I'm thinking of, but uh, what what is it that you have on that? Uh, the new Friday the 13th is underway. Production has started in Georgia under the um, secret code name of Forest Green. Um, just like they did with Blair Witch when they called it. What did they call that? The Woods? Yeah, the woods. the woods. Yeah, that was a different. Yeah, so Forest Green and is actually the Friday the Thirteenth. I I still don't know if this is a reboot. Do you know if this is a reboot or? I don't I know what's going on. No with idea. It. Uh, it's it, supposed to be out um, on Friday the Thirteenth in October. Hmm. Um, the next Friday the Thirteenth that comes is in April of 2018. So, hopefully they'll make it this October. Yeah. That'd be wicked. This has been tossed around a lot over the last few years, so it's it's nice that they're actually moving ahead. I sure would love them to get Kane hotter again. You know, I'd love them to do a little bit, maybe a little bit meta. You know, I know we've talked before about getting together some of the final girls and, and doing doing something with that, like they all get back together and, and Jason comes back for them, that would be, you know, rather than all these reboots all the time, yeah. you know, like if you have an established franchise, I think it's time, you know, you can, you can do anything. You can do anything. You could play uh, around with it, but they never do. No. I've heard also that they're uh, thinking of um, making another Freddy vs. Jason movie. I would love them to do that and and bring in like Michael Myers as well. That yeah. would be fun. A whole big monster. I bunch. always yeah. think that the, the teaser at the end of that was what was it? The uh, teaser at the end of the last um, Jason movie had had the glove come up and take the the mask down. Right? Yeah. That was kind of like the teaser for. Yeah, I always think that somewhere in there there was like a like the. Halloween theme, or there was some, but I think I invent that in my mind. <laughs> there was a Halloween reference. I did that just to myself. I think <laughs> I do it to myself. I yeah. do. I be- you know, the worst part is I believe the crap that I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's dangerous, Michael. 
because <laughs> you know. But depend- then I write it down and I sell it as fiction, and nobody knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're sitting at home sweating really badly for good reason. Yeah, because you. <laughs> I'm like, this is nonfiction, man. This is nonfiction. <laughs> Just imagine you being interviewed in the future after you you lose that that very thin balance of what's real and not yeah. and what's not real. Yeah. You're like, this isn't fiction. I went through this. <laughs> People are like, um, okay. Uh, well, it was nice having you on. <laughs> but I'm still not the craziest person out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <clears throat> Don't worry, Michael. I think we're all a little bit nuts. That's uh, part yeah. of the reason why if we're doing this. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. Yeah. I mean, we our voices might be driving you nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, what, el- what else do you want to talk about, Michael? Ooh, a Blu-ray release of mm. Takashi Miike's um, Hallmark trilogy, the Black Society trilogy, uh, from from Dread Central. It should be out now. Um, it came out January 24th, I believe. So you can see this, uh, I think it's his first few films. Um, he's one of my favorite directors. Um, not so much horror, but, but people in our, in our genre certainly know him for, for his gore and, and kind of, kind of splatter effects. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. I didn't know this until I was, poking around today but i'm gonna go out and try to find this now yeah um yeah the black society trilogy which i think is also known as the black triad trilogy but but maybe that's so i don't know which one it actually is Mm -hmm. i think it's black society that's interesting um uh i love it when they do this with uh it's except for the fact you know have you ever bought a blu-ray just to find out of something that's supposed to be restored, just to find out it's not actually restored. They just threw it on a Blu-ray. Uh, it's like a yeah. it's like a 480 uh, quality yeah. rather than you know like the high definition of 720 or Which, or they don't even 1080. come through on modern televisions anymore. It's all pixelated. <laughs> if you don't if you don't get Blu-ray quality these days, you're just you're looking at splotches on the screen. Yeah, you know, one thing I like is when uh, uh, you don't get that, but what you do get is like the graininess of the film. Yeah. So they didn't do anything to clean up the film, so you still get that, uh, you know, because it was obviously uh, filmed on, on actual film. It's not digital. Uh, so you get that graininess. You know, sometimes our, our, te- our televisions today, they're so clear, they really pick up on that, and it looks like you're almost at a movie theater watching this grainy old film. Yeah, you know our our friend Rob Zombie does that all the time. Yeah, he does. You know, I think I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming that he shoots on. Actually, I thought that I heard he shot on digital, but he has that grainy quality. If he yeah. shoots on digital, I don't know how he gets that. It's but probably he a filter that, he uses. Seventies look. Yeah. yeah, maybe because you can use filters for like colors. If you ever notice, some movies are like really kind of gold, or other movies have yeah. a real dark filter. So. They're usually used for like uh, for atmosphere, but Rob Zombie yeah. would use it for the look of the thing because he has a love for old movies and uh, and it really shows in his work just by the style of it. Yeah, definitely. It's something that you know it adds that extra quality yeah. to to his work. You know, like uh, uh, the last one, Thirty One, was supposed to take place during the seventies, but like Lords of Salem. 
felt like it was supposed to be in 1976, but I think it was modern. Yeah, I'm pretty, it I, was I'm modern. I'm trying to remember if there were, like, smartphones in it. I think that there were. Uh, right? yeah. But it, it just, like, it all looked like it. just their looks, like the way they dressed in that movie, and, uh, uh, and the music they played, it was definitely modern, but, uh, because they had like a black metal band, but it could have been like t- in the nineties for all I know. But I fuck, I'm getting to that stage in my life where <laughs> <laughs> those, those that decade where I was a kid, or you know, just becoming an adult. That that's it's always going to be that decade to me. <laughs> yeah. When yeah. I realized that the nineties is like twenty years ago, I'm like, holy shit! Isn't no. that a trip? I know it's yeah. It, it's like what? No, it was just last decade. No, it was two decades ago. Shit. Yeah, it's like in the '90s. That's not that's modern. It's mo- no, it's, it's not. not. <laughs> that's so depressing. Semi-modern, maybe. <laughs> well, when, we are in a science fiction year. I mean, growing up, could you imagine 2017? No. I mean, this was supposed to be flying cars. And, yeah. And Mars colonization. But it, it, we have like all these these little computers we carry around with us everywhere. You can that's, use your finger that, to navigate. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's awesome. It's 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 that's crazy. Completely different world. Uh, okay, what else you got, Michael? Um, some sad news. Um, I think most of us have heard that John Hurt passed away. Very much um, so. Yes. And Mary Tyler actor. Moore. Yes, Mary Tyler Moore, and somebody that we might not not think about, but um, my screen just flipped out. I mean, Barbara Hale, who was on Perry Mason, a mm-hmm. um, couple, uh, at least three kind of B-grade horror movies, but she was the mother of William Cat from House, which we liked an awful lot, and the, the Carrie's uh, prom date, William Cat, that was, that was his mom just passed away. Uh-huh. So 2017 is not looking much better. No, it's picking right back back up. It took like maybe a couple of weeks off. It's like, oh, we're going to go on vacation now. Uh, but it, it's come back with... Uh, Boom! Yeah, yeah. exactly. It was the worst news than ever. I, I'm a real big uh, fan of John Hurt. That was uh, when I saw that. To be honest with you, I wasn't surprised because he, he's you know he's up there. But uh, still very saddened. Oh, I- Meaning no disrespect, but he's looked like he's he's been on his last leg for the last twenty years. That's true. He, he, yeah, he, he did like not, old adult character. He did not age well. <laughs> to say but the he least. was he was so fantastic. I mean, yeah, he was. My God, everything he was in. He's one of those actors that could completely hijack a scene because he's so good. Yeah, and, yeah, and I love yeah. I love him. Uh, I'm gonna miss him and his work. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore was another bit of a uh, surprise, and yet not a surprise because again she's up there. But um, but it's still sad because um, the Mary Tyler Moore show was uh, you know a pretty big part of my teenage years. I used to I used to love that show. I thought it was uh, it was funny. Yeah, I uh, wasn't exactly the biggest fan. I hate to say, but I mean I loved what she did. Yeah. Um, she was a real, you know, groundbreaker, a glass ceiling breaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It was really, you know, what she did, when she did it. Um, and she seemed to have just a great attitude about life. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, 
So, uh, do you have anything else? No. That was my sad note upon which I end the news. <laughs> and are you the pretty thing that lives in the house? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Pick up my book. You, I will write it. You, you are now a, a Netflix original movie. I am going to bore you to death. <laughs> I'll put you to sleep. Oh, and you will never wake up. No, we, we, will, we will not be putting you to sleep, dear listener, because we're going to take another break. And when we return, we're going to have Todd Kiesling with us. Uh, we had a really awesome talk with this guy. Great guest. Yes. So we talk about a lot of things, including music and his new book. So uh, stay tuned for that. We will be right back. Go nowhere. Or die. (laughs) With unmatched success since 2012, Crystal Lake Publishing has quickly become one of the world's leading indie publishers of horror and thriller books with a mystery and suspense edge. With stories, interviews, and essays by the likes of Wes Craven, Neil Gaiman, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, Kevin Lucia, Jasper Bark, Mercedes M. Yardley, Mark Allen Gunnels, and Clive Barker, You'll want to dive right in. Crystal Lake Publishing. www.crystallakepub.com Hi. Welcome to the Patreon campaign for Crystal Lake Publishing. I'm Jasper Bach. Let me explain to you why I was thrilled to be an advocate. I've been working with Crystal Lake Publishing since the publication of their first official release, the anthology for The Night Is Dark. Over the last three years, I've watched them grow into one of the world's leading indie publishers of dark fiction. But times are hard for indie publishers, and that's why they need your support not only to pay the huge number of people who work tirelessly behind the scenes to make certain that each book is of the highest professional standard, but also to pay all anthology contributors a top professional rate, to include artwork in every single one of their books, and to pay a quarterly bonus on royalties to all their authors. In return, they are offering some truly amazing perks, so please do take a moment to go and check them out. The perks are offered over two tiers, so there is something to suit everyone's budget. And, because this is Patreon, you can put a cap on the amount of money you spend each month so you will never go above budget. But, the main reason to support Crystal Lake Publishing is because they build communities. Communities of readers and writers, of artists and filmmakers, and genre enthusiasts of every stripe. And that's why I am so proud to be an associate, why I was thrilled to be an advocate for this campaign, and why, most importantly, I hope that you will join me. Thank you so much for listening. 
Welcome back. Uh, this week, as promised, we have uh, another awesome guest. Um, uh, Todd, <laughs> I almost screwed it up. <laughs> Todd Kiesling <laughs> is a writer of horror and speculative fiction, as well as the author of the novels A Life Transparent and The uh, Luminal Man. Uh, born in Kentucky, he now lives with his wife and son somewhere near Reading, Pennsylvania. He has a day job. He's awkward and weird, and if you were to live next door to him, your grass would probably die. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Todd. I am thrilled okay. to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Michael and I were actually discussing your your bio before talking to you, and and oh, we were God. wondering we were wondering if milk might curdle as well. If you're yes, <laughs> milk would curdle. Uh, your animals would age rapidly. Uh, you may experience wrinkling of the flesh, uh, that sort of thing. Oh, that, that that sounds terrifying. My neighbors love me. <laughs> <laughs> they must have a, a great turnaround rate. Yeah, yeah. I'm on my my third or fourth set now. I lost lost count. <laughs> so were you were you always awkward and weird? Is this something that yes. you... Yeah. Uh, I've I reflected on my youth quite a bit, and I was definitely the awkward, weird kid uh, in school. Um, I don't know. I always kind of gravitated toward the dark stuff. Um, I grew up watching horror films, reading you know horror stories and stuff. My mom was a big reader, and uh, it's kind of a funny story... Uh, I had this uh, this VHS cassette for you kids who are listening. Those were pre-DVD <laughs> media. Uh, my my mom rented uh, copies of Maximum Overdrive and Evil Dead Two: Dead by Dawn so many times that she got a friend to record the movies illegally onto a cassette, <laughs> so I'd always have it. And I wore it out. It actually stopped working because I yeah. watched those movies so much when I was a kid. So yeah, I was. That kind of gives you some background on my childhood, and so <laughs> that's <laughs> that's why I was awkward and weird. Yeah, well, you're you're in good company, I think, because uh, I've talked to a lot of writers over the past couple of years since starting this podcast, and uh, and everyone seems to have the same sort of. Uh, uh, feel that they're they were you know awkward and weird in school and, yeah. and they still feel awkward and weird uh, when out you know in the workforce and whatnot. I certainly do anyway. Do you, Michael? <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm a recluse. I just stay inside. It's best for everybody. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I was looking. I was. I was creeping. Be, speaking of being weird and awkward. I was creeping your Facebook page in preparation for this uh, interview, and I, I I saw this picture before, but it reminded me of it, so I had to ask. But I saw uh, it was like a Throwback Thursday type picture, and you were wearing uh-huh. an old tool shirt, and uh, and you know to be awkward and weird, I, I wanted to ask you then if you're still into tool. So I'm just going to ask now: <laughs> Are you are you still into absolutely? Tool? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually have. I have a tattoo that's a tool design. Cool. Um, not many people know that, so you heard it here first. Yay! Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know, I got into tool when I was in high school, and uh, that was kind of right between 
the Anima and Lateralis albums. Mm-hmm. And Lateralis was kind of like one of those albums that I listened to at the right time in my life, I guess. Yeah. And uh, it kind of changed a changed a lot about how I, I looked at things and uh, Tool was one of my first concerts um, still a big Tool fan I've been waiting impatiently for the last 10 plus years for <laughs> yeah. their next album so yeah I, I'm definitely a, a huge Tool fan yeah me too I had the similar experience with their album Anima um, that album hit me at the right time and uh, I listened to, I can't listen to that album anymore because I've I've listened to it too much, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I'm not a musician, but I could probably play the album. <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. So, um, uh, do you do you have any idea? Like, I know, like you you mentioned that they're you know taking forever coming out with their next album. When do you think they're gonna come? Do you think they're just fucking with us or? Uh, I'd I'd like to think that maybe we'd see it sometime the in, toward the end of this year. Uh, at last I heard, um, they were they've been in the studio, uh, and I think Maynard said he was waiting for them to complete the music because he doesn't write the lyrics until after the music is done. Yeah. So, but he's going on tour with the Perfect Circle, and he's got the Pussifer thing going on, so. I don't know. I'd like to think that maybe it's done and they're just, you know, waiting to get all the marketing stuff in place. Who knows? Yeah. So I'll just keep listening to those those albums religiously for the time being. Yeah, me too. Well, I'm, obviously music's really important to you. Um, I'm curious about, about the books. Though you said your mom was a big reader, and and so were you. Who did uh, who and what did you read when you were a kid in Kentucky? Uh, well, I, I grew up with my mom reading Dean Koontz and Stephen King. She kind of alternated between those two, and this was you know this was in the eighties when the big horror boom was happening. Koontz was taking off. King was already a household name by that point, and uh, so my first like I guess my first. Uh, interest in reading anything horror related actually was R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series um, and I went from that to reading John Belair's uh, I'm not sure if I pronounced his last name correctly there but uh, he wrote uh, The House with a Clock in Its Walls uh, a bunch of other other creepy young adult fiction Back in the you know I think they came out in the seventies but I, I discovered them in you know in the early nineties and um, the scary stories of Tell in the Dark series which are you know were terrifying to k- kids especially because of those freaky illustrations I <laughs> uh, read the entire uh, Time Life uh, mystery book series for some reason my school library had those. <laughs> I remember uh, those. I always wanted to get into them. Yeah, they were, you know, conspiracy <laughs> theories and UFO yeah. sightings and the Mothman and 2012 Mayan apocalypse stuff. And I'm in like fifth grade <laughs> reading this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, though, <laughs> when you think about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, you know, as I got older, I just, you know, I kind of started picking up my mom's books. So. 
you know, I was reading, I read Intensity by Dean Koontz. I, I read the, my first King novel was The Gunslinger, the Dark Tower series. Cool. And, you know, I kind of, that became my thing, discovered Lovecraft after that, and it's it was all downhill from there. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I read a short story of yours that really sticks out in my memory. It's uh, it's titled, oh, really yeah, it's titled uh, "Radio Free Nowhere." Oh yeah, uh, in it there's a song that hypnotizes one of the main characters. Now, as we were talking with Tool, you know, I've been there, I've done that. I really felt what she did when listening to that song. So I'm assuming that this is something you experience as well, like like uh, you know, uh, considering how well the story is written. Yeah, uh, music is pretty integral to my writing process. Uh, I I do something that a lot of people find really strange when it comes to comes to writing, and I got it from Chuck Palahniuk, actually, the guy who wrote Fight Club. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an interview with him many years ago, and he talked about putting the same song on repeat over and over again and it kind of becomes like this meditation of sorts you it um if you know if you've ever practiced meditation you kind of have the typical pose that you would go into and the idea is that you do that enough you condition yourself to automatically go into that mental state when you assume that pose so it kind of works the same way uh you put that song on rotation and it takes you to that mental space you need to be in in order to create. Hmm. So uh, I will do that uh, with every single thing I write. Oh, yeah. Uh, typically, yeah, I'll typically get like a playlist of songs together that kind of fit the mood of what I'm going for. And then toward the end, especially, maybe like three quarters of the way through where I, I kind of know how to get where I need to go. Uh, I will pick the one song that probably resonates with that story and play it over and over again, and that kind of you know drives me home, so to speak. So when you when you do that, do you just like look at songs that um, uh, that would represent your story the most, or do you have like typical go to songs? Uh, I I go to songs that fit the story. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really it's really about establishing a, a mood and kind of putting me in that mood, trying to connect to the characters that I'm writing about. Uh, for example, you know, you mentioned Radio Free Nowhere. I, I listened to uh, This Mortal Coil's Song to the Siren hmm. on repeat when I wrote that story. That would be fitting. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's quite fitting. <laughs> so. Um. Uh. From your website, uh, I, I like how you have a, a list of all your published and unpublished works, and it, it mentioned, well, if you look at that list um, or that table, you've been writing and publishing since at least around 1989. Uh, what time in your life did you decide to start taking writing seriously, as in, uh, you know, submitting and, and getting published and, and really working on, on improving as a writer? Uh I have to to clarify something real quick. The 1989 thing, uh, I was I was six years old. 
Oh wow! So uh, my I, I, yeah yeah. Well, I've been at this a long time, fellas. I've been doing this all my life. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that was on account of my mom sending a a stupid little thing that I'd written in kindergarten into the newspaper, and they published it. So I'm like, oh well, for shits and giggles, I'm going to put this on my CV. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess I guess when I when I really got serious about it. Uh, it's kind of funny, um, up until, I guess, up until like halfway through my senior year of high school, I was going to go to college to study graphic design. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, I'd written a screenplay, uh, for a film class and I decided to adapt it into a short story. And three months later I had a 60,000 word novel and I took that novel with me to college and at the suggestion of my guidance counselor, they said, well, we've got this writing contest here and I submitted it and it won second place. And that's the first time I ever got paid for anything I'd written, anything I'd ever created really. And that's, that's kind of when I knew, um, that, all right, I've got something here. I should probably pursue it. So I declared an English major and, now, now have a career in finance to make ends meet. <laughs> so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's a story for another day. Yeah. Well, a lot of writers have, have day jobs and I, I have a, well, I have a day job and a night job. It's uh, I I work weird hours where it's like two weeks on days, two weeks on nights. It's, it's fun. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I usually tell people I, I, I work two jobs. Uh, one of them isn't paying the bills yet, yeah. but hopefully, soon. hopefully one day. Hopefully one day. It's the time that you put in. It's going to pay off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also on your website, um, like Jason said, you, you have your published and unpublished works. And uh, I see one called Colon D, which you oh, describe God. as the worst thing you've ever written, and you say not to ask. So I'm asking. All right. Please. Sorry. You bastards. Can I curse? I should have asked that. No, nope. you can curse. Curse God away. God damn it. <laughs> uh, Colon D was my second novel. That was the... I'd say every writer, especially when they're first starting out, probably goes through this uh, period of immense uh, pretension mm. and where they think that they can do no wrong and everything they write is golden and, you know, if people don't get it, then there's something wrong with them, not with <laughs> yeah. the story. Colin D is my uh, pretentious story, uh, first of many pretentious stories that will never see the light of day. In fact, I actually don't have colon D anymore. I deleted it. <laughs> yeah, it's just in case, right? I, you know what? I agree with that because, um, you know, like, uh, Harper Lee, for example, uh, they published, they, last year or two years ago, they published that new novel. I can't remember by her, but. Go set a watchman. Yeah. She didn't exactly agree to that. She was, uh, uh, very sick at the time. Yeah. And uh, I don't think she was able to actually give an opinion on whether or not she wanted that published. But if she did want it published, it probably would have been published a long time ago. And so, you know, those uh, kind of trunk novels, you know, you don't want them being read. 
So yeah, like there's I, a reason. I, <laughs> the ones that I I keep, you know, I keep most of my stuff, even if it, you know, even if I write it and look at it and I'm like, well, that's never seeing the light of day. I still keep it because I like to go back and kind of see see where I've been. It puts you know where I am currently in perspective, and I have you know I have that first novel that won that contest. It's poorly written. It's it's a bad. It's it's not necessarily a bad story. I don't think, but it's it needs a lot of work mm-hmm. to you know kind of bring it up to par with how I write now. And I would never, ever, ever consider sending it out for publication unless it went through severe, you know, multi-layered edits. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's I keep it not necessarily for my own personal nostalgia, but also because that, that story, you know, that story is a part of me. And, you know, I'm still, you know, it's, it's something that I had to get out of the way in order to get where I am now. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's kind of how I look at that stuff. Uh, but Colin D was the one that had to go. That that one you know, <laughs> just needed to die. Yeah, it just it had no place on this planet. I assure you. <laughs> you could maybe write a novel about that. <laughs> <laughs> the novel that wouldn't die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, your first published uh, novel is a life transparent, correct? Yes. And uh, it's it's also the first of the uh, the monochrome trilogy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, please tell us ahead. more about about the book and a little bit about the trilogy. Okay. Uh, a life transparent is uh, a story about a man named Donovan Candle, and uh, he's a rather mundane fellow who wakes up one morning and discovers that he is physically disappearing. And uh, when I wrote it, it was intended to be a one-off. Several years later, I realized, okay, there might be more to his story, so I wrote the sequel, The Liminal Man. And that's when I realized, okay, this actually is going to be a trilogy of stories. Um, I've been struggling with the third book for several years now, which is why I got sidetracked with my shorter fiction and the novella and everything that's coming out soon. Uh, but the monochrome trilogy is uh, this, it's Donovan's story. It's his journey in through a very existentialist nightmare. Uh, I wrote it when I was, I think I was 24 years old, something like that, uh, working a dead-end job at a law firm. And I had this daydream where I imagined myself uh, 10 years in the future uh as if nothing had changed. Mm-hmm. And I was still working there, still doing the same thing, still clinging to this dream of you know being a successful writer and everything. And it kind of went from there. And the, the monochrome itself is a parallel reality uh, that is you know monochrome, in, entirely monochrome. And it's populated by these, uh, these creatures called Cretans, and their bigger brothers, the yawning, which are these tall, lanky things that can devour men whole. And uh, the idea is that people who become saturated with mediocrity uh, slowly disappear from this reality into the monochrome. It's kind of like a, you know, uh, like a purgatory or hell, so to speak. 
So I can't really tell you more than that. Mm-hmm. But that's what the monochrome trilogy is. Uh, if I ever finish the third novel, uh, third novel is going to be called Non-Entity after the Nine Inch Nails song. Cool. And, uh, and I just I listened to a snippet of that. Uh, um, I forget where I where I listened to that, but you were doing a, a reading of of the book. That was a that was a really great section with the with the wormy kind of things coming at him. Oh yeah, I'm trying to think if you were listening to the like the proof of concept recording that I did, or if it was during one of my live broadcasts. I don't remember. Do you recall? I don't. I I wish I did. Maybe it was on your on your website. I was I was okay. you off everywhere I could, and I and I found <laughs> that and clicked on it. <laughs> I don't remember where it was. But, That's okay. But really good. Thank you. Thank and um, well, thank you for writing it, as I always say. You're <laughs> um, you're getting involved with Crystal Lake Publishing now. How did that come about? Uh, I am pretty good friends with Mercedes Yardley, who I think has been a guest on this uh, on the podcast. Oh, yes. She has indeed, yeah. And uh, Mercedes is like a sister to me. I love her to death, and uh, she told me uh, she actually encouraged me. She didn't really give me a choice. She told me to <laughs> to uh, get in touch with with Joe at Crystal Lake and you know see if he'd be interested in checking out my ugly little thing stories. So I sent a query. I guess this was oh gosh, this was end of 2015, I think. And he's like, "Well, I'm pretty busy, but." Send it to me, I'll get to it if I can. And then you know, a couple of months later, he sends me a message, and you're like, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in this. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, so he picked up the, uh, the reprint rights to the first volume of Stories, uh, Ugly Little Things, uh, which is being published uh, later this summer. And he's also picked up the rights to a second volume, uh, which the, uh, includes the novella, uh, the final reconciliation, but final reconciliation is actually being released in ebook form, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, next, sometime in early February, I'm told we don't have an exact release date yet. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I just stumbled over my own words. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I do it all the time. Yeah, but regarding uh, uh, your novella coming out with them, uh, can you tell us what that's about? Give us maybe a little bit of a, a teaser. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the novella is called The Final Reconciliation. It is a, a story about a progressive metal band called the Yellow Kings. And the story is heavily inspired by the King in Yellow uh, collection by Robert W. Chambers, who was a precursor to H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of people kind of discovered Chambers by way of True Detectives first season uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, the concept of the Yellow King and Carcosa and all of that stuff. Um, I looked at the King in Yellow and decided, you know, it would be really cool if somebody did an album about this because the imagery is just perfect for an album cover. Like, you could 
you know, I, I could see like all sorts of weird shit. I could see, you know, Dio having <laughs> yeah. an album cover based on the the King in Yellow. And there wasn't really anything out there. I'm not at all musically talented, so I started, you know, jotting down some notes and I wrote down the final reconciliation. And I'm like, well, would that? I guess that's what the album could be called. That sounds kind of like a progressive metal album. Mm-hmm. A concept concept record, and uh, I kind of went from there. I wrote out a, an imaginary track list, and you know, picked some names out of a hat for the band members. And one thing led to another. I had my main cast of characters, and I had every chapter for the story as a song title. Yeah. So that's how the final reconciliation came to be uh, it's about this progressive metal band called the yellow kings uh something really bad happened to them uh during their final performance that left uh everybody there except for the lead guitarist uh dead and the story unfolds uh with the lead guitarist granting a an exclusive interview for the first time in 30 years and he's telling the story about what happened to them and why this album was never released, why uh, their careers, uh, no pun intended, died out. <laughs> and uh, it's, right now, it's, other than the fa- aside from the fact that it's being uh, published in a couple of weeks, it's probably my, my favorite thing that I've written uh, to date. It just, from a writing perspective, it, just it's one of those stories that everything just came together perfectly yeah i, I couldn't i couldn't ask yeah. for it you know to you know more perfectly than that it just was flowing i started it in 2014 i wrote a chapter and a half i set it aside because i was hell-bent on working on working on that third book and i came back to it back uh, i guess it was around late july uh, this past summer, and I wrote the rest of it in three weeks. Awesome! Now here we are. Yeah, I you you spoke of the cover artwork, and I really like the idea list, listing the uh, the chapters as song titles on the back. Um, did you? I guess you had to work with the artist pretty closely in order to do that. It's kind of funny, actually. I designed that. Oh, did you? Uh, I am an artist. Oh, yeah. I well, you, I, you went to school for that, right? I was going to. Yeah. Uh, my wife is also a graphic designer, so she's kind of been teaching me little, you know, tricks in Photoshop for the last ten years. Well, Finally, it's, it's a fantastic cover. Can, I, I guess. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, so, are you a f- like? Have you always been a fan of the King in Yellow? Because I love that. I love that stuff. I I read the King in Yellow. Uh, well. Let me clarify. I've read The Repair of Reputations, and I read The Yellow Sign uh, as part of a collection called The Haster Cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. It was published back in the late 90s. That was my first introduction to Chambers. And I, I looked it up uh, after the fact, and I, I checked out some of the other stories. And it you know, was one of those things that I read, I liked it, but then I promptly forgot about it yeah. <laughs> until... <laughs> 
until uh, True Det- I was watching True Detective like everybody else, and Carcosa popped up in the in conversation, and I'm like, "Holy hell!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it's uh, it's definitely something that is. I think I, I love the fact that it w- kind of became part of the you know conversation again. Because yeah. I feel like in some ways it kind of fell to the wayside and was forgotten, um, and now it's kind of it's it's back. It's got its own another. It's following again. It's it's slowly kind of coming back to the forefront, and it's kind of funny. But True Detective is probably you know one of the reasons for that. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a a magical time actually in my life when that show came out. Uh, that first season just wow you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it swept everyone up and uh, i was glad to have been a part of that but i really liked the uh the king and yellow references and and there was also some like legati references and stuff there was even some speculation as to whether or not it was uh some stuff was lifted right from a legati story <laughs> yeah i i read um i looked up legati i was pretty new to legati around that time and i I checked out the conspiracy against the human race and it i could kind of go either way on that argument and in some ways yeah they they kind of did but at the same time i don't think that was their intention to plagiarize i think it was more just a kind of a a hat tip to legati because again he's that's a guy who is very reclusive and his fiction is in certain circles is highly revered but up until a few years ago i'd never heard of him yeah and you know he's you know you you go into some some bookstores you ask for tom you know do you have anything by thomas legati and people look at you like Like, i don't know who the hell that is (laughs) yeah uh but also laird baron i mean they they you know paid Paid homage to Laird Barron. They did. As well. You're right and because I, I, I've been reading Laird Barron re- recently, and uh, I was like, you know what? I, I was reading uh, uh, his first collection, uh, the uh, what's it called? The, yeah, the Amago, the Amago yeah. sequence. Yeah, that's it. Amago sequence. And yeah, there's a couple a of stories in there that really have a, a strong, um, uh, a strong. You know, they they obviously took from that as well. But you know, it's not that they're plagiarizing. I think there's just this new uh this new thing on the internet where it's cool to be outraged about things oh yeah definitely yeah. it's that's but, kind of the internet's mo <laughs> yeah but you know it's it's not plagiarism it's just like like you said a hat tip like you, you can't i, I it's, it's it's this is a bit of a i brought it up only because it's a bit of a touchy subject with me <laughs> but uh, you know if you can't hat tip anyone then what the hell you know like uh, yeah. Fiction is full of hat tipping. So, in fact, yeah. uh, Jack Ketchum, I, I, I saw him speak once, and he said that uh, uh, writers steal. Writers are thieves. They steal from other people's works all the time, and uh, not plagiarizing, but they, you know, they take ideas and whatnot, and they expand on them, and that's you know the way it should be. Right. Absolutely. Um. So, uh, I would like to. Uh, uh, ask you what what's it like working with crystal lake have you had a, a an awesome experience with them i love working with crystal lake uh working with joe has been a dream he is open to different ideas 
uh, to suggestions. It's it's very, um, it's very. It's not set in stone. Let me put it that way. Like it's, you can you know he may have an idea for something, and then you can come up with, you know, his idea isn't law. Like you can propose something else, like the the cover, for example, uh, for final final reconciliation. Originally, uh, he wanted to use the cover that my wife designed for mm-hmm. the first volume of uh, stories. And I told him, I'd, you know, because it's a new publisher, I'd prefer that we have kind of like a new cover, a new uh, new identity, because we're kind of re-releasing it to a whole new audience, basically. And... Uh, he was receptive to that, and he, he, the only thing was, is you know, he had only budgeted for two covers, not three. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, well, you know, what if I, you know, what if I've got this thing I was playing around in Photoshop with that didn't really, you know, kind of did it just for my own, you know, own practice, but you want me to play around with this and see if I can come up with a cover? And he said, sure, go for it. Awesome. Now, what what publisher would do that? Yeah, not too many. <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Joe's been awesome with us as well because he he sponsors the show. Uh, He's really awesome to work with in that regard, too. Um, I read an interview where Joe interviewed you, and uh, you said something about writing personal things that I I found interesting because it resonated with me. Uh, I have the exact same struggle um, writing, you know, biographical things. Um, But, you know, when you look at your stories... They are. They do have an autobiographical uh, sense to them. It's just, it's more uh, symbolism, you know what I mean? Would you say yeah. it's the same with your writing? Because like, I, I can't write something direct from my life. It, it, it just gets boring and I stop writing. Uh, it, it's, it's hard. Like I, I'm constantly aware that if I'm putting something in there in a, in a story from from my personal life or something of that to that effect i have to be you know conscious of how much i'm revealing mm-hmm. and there's always this there's always this desire to pull back and put that wall up because i want there to be this wall between you know me the author versus you know the reader and in some some cases, you need to take that wall down mm-hmm. because you, if you're if you're you know deceiving yourself, it's going to show in the fiction. And you know the, from my own experiences, and I, I don't I don't remember if I referenced this in the same interview. I, I may have. I, I know what interview you're talking about. Um, there's a story I wrote that's in the first uh, volume of stories called Saving Granny from the Devil. Mm-hmm. And I originally started that story not intending it for it to be fiction. Uh, it actually was going to be just an essay. Uh, just one of those things that I kind of had to just get out, you know. And uh, basically it's, it's about uh, my great-grandmother who, uh, for a time in my life, actually raised me. Mm-hmm. And she uh, she suffered a series of strokes that left her, you know, partially paralyzed. And uh, one day, 
while she was uh, home, she said that she saw a man in black standing across the road pointing at her window. And that, that image always stuck with me, and I wanted to, you know, I figured, okay, there's some kind of metaphor in here. I could probably, you know, do like a, an essay about this, and then it, the more I wrote it and attempted to write it, it kept wanting to be this, you know, the devil kept wanting to talk, so to mm-hmm. speak. He kept wanting to be this character, and the whole thing kind of became this pseudo-memoirish fictional story. It's thinly veiled fiction. Uh, there's a lot in there that people, you know, they're, they're not going to catch, mm-hmm. but a lot of that stuff actually happened. Uh, and that that's probably the hardest story I've, I've ever had to write. And I say that I had to write it because I, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. And like I said, it's one of those things that had to come out. And it fortunately uh, didn't suck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Um, it, it's, but I, I, I use that as an example for this, uh, the, the whole personal putting, you know, yourself into your fiction sort of thing, the, the personal aspect, because it's hard and it's scary. I mean, the whole time I, I was writing it, I'm thinking to myself, my family's going to fucking kill me. Mm-hmm. They're going to kill me. And because you're basically, you know, in some ways, airing dirty laundry, it's supposed to be personal and, and, you know, private. Yeah. But to hold that back is a disservice to the story and the writing itself. And the reader's gonna, they're gonna smell that immediately, like, like a shark would, you know, blood and water. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's tough because of that. You're, you're, and I, I feel like I'm talking circles around myself at this point, but... You get the idea of what I'm, what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do, you, do, you oft, do you often try to avoid uh, writing from your personal life, except for something that needs to be uh, needs to be said or written about? Uh, I try to avoid it, but it doesn't always work out that way. Um, the monochrome stories actually are are heavily veiled personal stories. Um, mm-hmm they're kind of reflective on, on me as a person and where I am at, at particular points in my life. Yeah. I go back and I look at them and I see, okay, well, there's me at 24, there's me at 29. Now I'm as old as the character that I started writing about, you know, a decade ago. And maybe that's what I'm missing yeah. for the third time. <laughs> well, that, that's, that that's what I identify with because whenever I try to write something that's, uh, you know, direct from my life i for some reason i just can't do it i lose interest but if i you know when i'm looking back on my fiction uh that's exactly like where i was emotionally mostly in that part of my life when i wrote that story often reflects in the story um you know there's a period of time where i was really pissed off at humanity and it's looking like i'm coming that way again but you know and that became one of my best stories um so yeah that i totally Sorry? That makes good fiction. I yeah, think. it does. Anger and does. being pissed off. Big, strong emotion. <laughs> yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how did uh, how did Beneath the Lake come about? Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, Joe, this was after, after I'd signed with the company. 
Joe saw uh, an impromptu live broadcast that I did uh, to tell people about the book deal. Mm-hmm. And he saw it, and he had a spark of inspiration, and he messaged me the following day and said, how would you like to host an official show that is you know, tailored around Crystal Lake and all of its publications and everything. And, you know, this is my new publisher, so what am I going to do? Say no? (laughs) (laughs) No. So I said, sure, I can do that. Um, And uh, that's kind of how it came to be. Like, we had... I had done a uh, a live broadcast with uh, myself and uh, Mercedes Yardley, uh, Eric Pruitt, and Anthony J. Rapino. Uh, one thing I, I can mention is we 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 call ourselves the Geeky Rider Gang, and periodically, usually like every three or four months, we'll do a live broadcast, and we kind of first started doing it for fun, and then as a way to kind of engage all of our audiences together. So if one author has something to promote, we all come together, do a broadcast, and kind of rally around that person's success, and it gets people interested in it. It's a good it's a good marketing thing because. Marketing sucks in in any shape or form. I hate doing it, but it's a necessary evil in in the publishing world. So, uh, we had done this uh, this thing for a project that Tony and I have been working on uh, for a couple of years, and um, we had all this this uh, software set up that allowed us to play pre recorded video uh, during a live stream. And it was really complicated, and it's very, uh, very twitchy, and sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, so we used that initially for Beneath the Lake. Uh, we had uh, the folks, the editors for the Gutted Beautiful Horror Anthology, which uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, great, great fucking anthology. Am I right? Yeah, we talk about it's it a awesome. lot. Actually, yeah. that uh, was fantastic. Yeah, we promoted that yeah. heavily on the show yeah. last summer. We talked to a lot of yeah. the authors. I I met Brian Kirk at uh, Nikon this past summer, and we shook hands. And then I said, "Dude, your fucking story! Oh my god!" Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've we've talked a lot about that story too. Yeah, he. Oh man, god, that story Ooh. was a real gut wrencher. God. Uh, but yeah, so I had, um, uh, I had the, the folks from who, uh, Doug and I had, uh, David Alexander Ward on, I had Mercedes, I have Brian, um, on the show. I had, uh, I had Kate Jones, Ben Eads, Monique Snyman, uh, am I, am I forgetting? I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, I had, uh, Patrick Freeval, Stephanie Wojtovich, um, uh, Trying to get Keelan Patrick Burke on. Trying came this close to getting Joe Lansdale. That would have been incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah it's probably for the best because I would have been tongue tied and been like, been like, "Oh, would you sign uh, my book, Mister Lansdale?" <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, had uh, Mark Allen Gunnels and Aaron Drees on or Drys. I, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Uh, they just had a book come out uh, where yeah. the dead go to die. That's getting a lot of buzz. Um, and uh, actually recording one tomorrow night uh, with Jasper Bark. Cool. Uh, uh, 
we actually are going to switch from doing the live format because YouTube cannot be reliable sometimes, and I just hate for the you know for for Joe to go to the trouble of promoting it and then it just not happen because YouTube isn't responsive or my yeah. you know my stuff doesn't work. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of a primer on beneath the lake. It's uh, exclusive. Initially exclusive to Crystal Lake's Patreon subscribers. It only costs a buck a month, I think, to get access to it. And then about a week later, it goes live to the public. Yeah. So. Yeah, I uh, I like listening uh, into that. I, I, I like that format of, uh, of uh, watching writers talk about books and, and stuff like that on YouTube and... And on podcasting as well. It's uh, so yeah. Kudos on that. That's uh, that's an awesome gig. Thank you. So, Fantastic. would you recommend live recordings? <laughs> I I asked this for live recordings. Uh, <laughs> I, yes and no. It's it depends on how complicated you want to go with your live recording. Like the software I use, uh, Open Broadcast Studio, is. Um, kind of the same thing that like a lot of video game streamers use on twitch yeah uh and but that's it works if it's just you if you're trying to like get a bunch of people on this you know like a conference call and then push that to youtube it seems to complicate matters and sometimes it doesn't work sometimes there are sound issues sometimes there's lag and sometimes yeah (laughs) it can become a huge pain in the ass yeah uh but when it does work, it's really cool. Yeah. Because uh, then you can share stuff, you can show commercials, you can do whatever you want. Cool. Because we were thinking of doing a, a live broadcast for Halloween this year, but but I was looking into it, and it seems kind of complicated. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've got... Uh, I don't actually have a, a, a physical mixing board, so I have, so- like, a software version, and that's how you're able to take the audio that's coming into your... Uh, into your computer, mixing it with your audio that's going out, and then pushing that out to you know your audience and yeah, yeah, sounds like see, fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. I'm not at all. Uh, I'm not at all an audio video nerd. I no. wish I wish I were. So, <laughs> yeah, me neither. And yet here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Yeah. Talking on this newfangled tin can Skype call. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a magic string. So, um, so thanks for being on the show, Todd. Uh, it was a, uh, it was awesome talking to you. Likewise. Yes, thank, thank you. you for having me. Uh, so before we go, uh, where can people find you online if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, you can find me at my website, uh, toddkeesling.com. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Todd Kiesling Writer is my Facebook page. And uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Todd underscore Kiesling. It's all pretty pretty simple. Uh, it's K-E-I-S-L-I-N-G, not K-I-E, <laughs> as uh, the H-W-A thinks. <laughs> no, I and I found that uh, recording of yours it's on your uh amazon author page so guys don't forget to check that out and uh listen to todd read a bit of a life transparent aha uh-huh. so it is the uh it is the proof of concept recording i did that's where i was just playing around with uh with my microphone <laughs> oh. 
Awesome. Well, it sounds damn good for just playing around. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> Jason and I with our sound problems that's legendary. Oh, God, yeah. Like, <laughs> doing this podcast, man, I've had some serious issues with technical difficulties. <laughs> Both with the uh, operator and the uh, <laughs> and the equipment. <laughs> it's all right. Can't it's all fault good, anybody though. for having technical issues. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show, and we'll definitely have you on again. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Todd. Should be out go, but <laughs> yeah, we're just done. No, not done. Almost done. <laughs> so that was a that was a lot of fun uh, this episode, and and certainly more information than anybody needed to know about Tool. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong because thank you guys. We we could for talk, that. You could talk about Tool <laughs> all day long, and it still wouldn't be enough. Oh, <laughs> uh, I like hearing about people's passions. It, that's that's interesting, you know. No matter what the topic, I think. But yeah, well, you know what? Um, Tool will probably never release that album we were talking about. That new one that's they're supposedly yeah. working on. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's time we just stop talking about Tool. Maybe they'll just want yeah. our attention again. I doubt it. But I, there's not not much room for me to talk because I'm such a Pink Floyd fan. And when their last album came out a couple years ago, you know, I talked about that all year. So. Was it good? It was okay. Uh, well, no band is ever uh, as good as they were in their peak, but I thought it was going to be a lot of. I knew I knew what it was what it was going to be that they used a lot of old material and it was kind of a tribute to Richard Wright. But I didn't know that the tracks were going to be. I hate to say it, a little derivative. You know, it was they're more like. You know, B or C sides of such a thing exist, rather than like, oh, this is a completely new thing. It was kind of riffs on on Division Ball stuff. Hmm. Uh, so I was a bit disappointed. That's too bad. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> tangents, tangents. Yeah. See, see, there we go. We uh, we we can have our own uh, our own rantings of our favorite bands. Yep. <laughs> hey, I, I told you I couldn't. I couldn't say anything about Tool. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. You know, you should really I listen to Tool. <laughs> Maybe I should. There should there talk about '90s coming back. Yeah, <laughs> it was almost since the '90s when they released their last album. <laughs> Actually, it was 2006. But hey, who's counting? Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody. <laughs> so, uh, if you if you want to get in touch with us, it's easy to do. We have so many places on uh, online where you can get a hold of us. Uh, first of us, first of all, both Michael and I, we have we have our own Twitter accounts, and or, well, we do have those, and we also have uh, a Facebook account. What's your Twitter handle? Um, at Chuck's Fiction. Um, all one, all together. 
at Chuck's Fiction. And I'm at Jason underscore White 74. And that's the numerical 74, not spelt out. Just like with everything else that's going to be 74 in in the near future here. Like our email address, which is darknessdwells74 at gmail.com. And uh, actually, I should have mentioned the uh, Twitter first, because we were talking about Twitter. But we have a Twitter handle as well, and it's at darkdweller74, because somebody already has darknessdwells74, the pricks. Anyway. Yes, and I want to, I want to get that. I, that's my mission for 27. <laughs> Somebody is going. Somebody's going to answer the door one day to a Michael standing in front of. <laughs> it's going to be storming, raining, and and your your glasses are going to be fogged up, and you're going to have that crazy psychotic look in your eye. Hey, really good scene setup. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I dabble in the writing. <laughs> that was good. So uh, yeah, you can uh, you can reach us there. Uh, stay tuned for the uh, darkness d- at darkness dwells seventy four, and uh, you can. Uh, did I mention the Facebook groups? Yes, I did. We have a group and a page. Anyway, you can go there and, and talk to us. And our website is where darkness dwells dot com. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks as always. We uh, we love talking with you. Yes, we do indeed. So we will talk to you again real soon. We have some awesome guests lined up. And uh, so stay tuned. And stay dark, my friend. Stay dark, dark indeed. indeed.